with much more value than just what it is on the surface. Like you begin to see where you can look through the person that's just cut you off in traffic and look through them and see their humanity and be like, you know what? Something probably has already set that person off and it's less likely to bug you. Still gonna get frustrated. I get frustrated all the time, but your, your clarity level gets dialed up a notch and you get to see the person more relationally than you would otherwise. And even the people closest to you, like you begin to take things less personally because you can see like, okay, that's obviously not directed at me or, you know, or you're hurting. Oh, there's actually nothing I can do to fix this. So I don't have to try to fix it. I can just let you know that, Hey, I'm here for you. And you're more authentic and more genuine, but it's harder. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Communitas Podcast. It's a joy to be with you all again today. And speaking of joy, I'm joined by Joy Preston. And uh, today we're going to have a real good time uh, talking to a, a good friend and colleague and um, someone we get a lot of support and work from, uh, Jonathan Collier. And uh, looking forward to hearing your story, Jonathan. And uh, just for a little bit of background to those listening, uh, I got introduced to Jonathan probably a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. Um, Jonathan conducted a podcast boot camp, uh, which was really the genesis for uh, this activity that we've undertaken to have the Communitas podcast. And since then, we've just engaged in a lot of different ways. And he's supporting us tremendously uh, on our podcast efforts, but also on mission, vision, values, uh, communication, uh, a number of things, you know, getting the story out in a proper way. So multi-talented guy. Uh, he's on my Zoom screen right now with a bunch of cool guitars hanging behind him. Um, so man, there's just so much we can talk about. Jonathan, welcome. Glad you're here with hey, us. So glad to be here. I always tell people it's nice to be um, in this seat. Like I, I enjoy every aspect of podcasting. I love the interviewing. I love the editing, but it's it's nice to sit in this seat, not because I love talking about myself. Um, I actually don't enjoy that, but I love adding value. And so that's the intersection. So um, you talked story and um, I always get asked what I do and um, where I fit in and all of that jazz. And we were talking before recording and I come back to relationships and story and infusing that into everything that I have been fortunate enough to experience good, bad, or indifferent over the course of my 38 years here on right earth. On. Right on. It's, it's been a joy too over the last couple of years to not only work together, but to also develop friendship. And I appreciate the, um, the level of vulnerability that you've expressed with me about some of the journey you've been through. And, um, I think it's an important story and, I know that you've got some writing projects and things too that we can touch on, but maybe we can start out. Um, you get asked the question, you just said, uh, what do you do? But tell us about the journey. You got introduced to me through Alan Briggs. Uh, Alan with Stay Forth has been a coach for me and also helped us a couple of years back with some messaging, marketing, and leadership development, came to one of our conferences. Uh, we'll put links in the show notes to Stay Forth information as well, but um, tell us kind of the journey, Jonathan. Yeah, I met Alan, who, if you're listening and you don't know Alan, and if you're listening, you do, Alan is like the master connector. Mm. Like, yes. he's like the universal Lego block that connects people that need to be connected <laughs> together. I mean, it, it's pretty fascinating. I met Alan years ago. Um, I was co-hosting my first podcast. Um with a former colleague and Alan was a guest and I was doing a ton, um, like had just gotten married, had just moved and was taking over running a nonprofit. And we had, you know, launched a podcast and I had spent a year planning it. Um, and Alan came on as a guest and he had just put out an ebook um, called seven steps to launching your big idea. And there were some things that I wanted to do. And so I reached out and asked for it. And that led to a conversation 
which then led to me going through a season of leadership coaching, um, which was so transformative then mm. and led to so many opportunities and it ultimately saved my life. Um, oh, wow. but Alan and I met, came through the end of coaching and I was blown away by it. And I was like, you need to be doing this. You should be doing that. And he was like, I don't really know who you think we are. He goes, I am just in the early stages of this, but let's fly to Colorado and have some tacos and it's worth a couple of days. And to this day, we laugh about it. We mapped out, that's been almost seven years ago. Yeah. We spent three days and he listened to ideas I had and we mapped some things out and everything on that original map has unfolded. Wow. To go from there to where stay forth is now. And, you know, one of the most important mission divisions of any organization. Um, And I've been so fortunate to be a part of it. And out of that led to accidentally starting a marketing agency because people were coming to us and we're like, we love the way you talk about stuff and we like this and we like that. And so we decided to start a marketing, a side marketing business, which I eventually took over and it's the creative agency that I run now. Um, And so it's been a very interesting seven years, but I'm glad I've experienced every second of it because it's made me, it's helped make me, you know, good, bad or indifferent, but all of it has been very worthwhile. Yeah. Wow. Okay, there's a lot there to unpack. Um, let's let's go back prior to the seven years and what got you to that point. Um, now I was very had a big performance mindset. Grew up always never really feeling good enough and wanted mm-hmm. to do more and trying to find where I fit in and um always wanted to help people looking back now realized I was a, a, you know, poster child for being a people pleaser. Yeah. Um, which is really unhealthy. Um, and was just looking for where I fit in, how do people, you know, say, I appreciate you and you know, whatnot. So I went through early twenties, what I would call the story of my life, the dark ages I was really mm-hmm. good through school and high school and decided when I graduated, around 19 or 20, I was like, no, I'm not going to behave anymore. And mm-hmm. so I tell people I ran around and had a, a shotgun loaded with bad decisions and would fire it off in any direction and didn't care who was on the other end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up my stepbrother then invited me to church. We had played music together um, and started playing the worship team, um, found where I fit in and dove headfirst into ministry and jumping years later um started the podcast with an old colleague and who was the pastor of the church I went to and um ended up becoming worship leader associate pastor senior deacon um then church planter um planting a military focused church and then covid happened and then that's pretty much where the catalyst for a lot of a lot of me in 2023 has come about. Yeah. Wow. So, so you've, you've been through the cycle on the, on the church side from uh, performing on stage with, with music uh, to leading, to teaching, to planting. Yeah. You've seen it all. Yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. Every, every bit of it. Um, Wonderful experience. I know it's every different aspect of that. You gain an appreciation for people that fit in those roles. Um, and then for people that church plant as, as well, it's lonely no matter where you do it and in what context, because you're building relationships with people, especially in the early phases that are probably going to not be there, especially in military culture. Like you're, right. you're there specifically to be fully open and, and discipling people and the military culture is transient. And so you don't know how long you're going to get people. And so you build these relationships and people go and, um, you know, you're, it's so much work to, to where, unless you've been in it or, you know, someone that has, it's very hard to grasp like what it's, how physically, mentally, and emotionally taxing it is, but it's worth it. It was worth it. Yeah. Jonathan, boy, I really relate to that. Um, some of the perils, I guess, of church planting or, or being, you know, a church staff is 
the U.S. culture, I think, has has kind of, or or maybe it's coming out of, but has placed uh, people in ministry as a commodity, in a sense. And you know, as a minister or pastor or leader of people or church planter, you know, the only way that works for me in my context is to have absolute authenticity, which means that I give all of myself. Uh, to people who choose to engage right with us. And then they decide the coffee is better somewhere else, or they have a job change and move out of town. And it just, man, it feels like a part of your soul is torn away every time that happens. And I don't, oh. I don't think the people that leave understand that it's like, Oh, well, I mean, you're used to this. You're, you're just kind of a commodity and now we'll go on to the next provider of goods and religious goods and services. It's yeah. It's, I don't often like the term vocation or job as it attaches because it anyone who's in ministry it, it is but it isn't you're it's very much your life and everything for most people and it's unfortunate it gets blurred yeah um you feel like you can't have boundaries you feel like you can't say no you feel like you can't be because you have to be i mean to be quite honest the probably the biggest misinterpretation of scripture is you literally think you have to be all things to all people. And that just does nothing for you, mm -hmm. but, but run you into the ground and people don't understand. Like when you say you care for someone, you really are. Um, and the commodity side of it is true. I don't think it's intentional. It, we think that in the Western church that people are, who are in church are unfairly elevated above the rest of the members of the church. Yeah. And like, there's expectations that are placed and and so it's seen as like I'm coming so that you can provide this, which is very true, so that I can receive this, so that then I can go on about my week. And mm -hmm. we've kind of lost the like the ebb and flow where the only difference between someone who's a quote unquote pastor in a church and someone sitting in the pews is that he's there to give that message. He or she's there to give that message to all those people in attendance. They're just as equipped to take that same message and give it to their friends yeah. and family and relatives and live it out. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's no, and if you look at it that way, the tables are leveled and you're standing, you know, shoulder to shoulder. And we don't see that. And I think it, it also lends to a very unhealthy view of leadership within our culture as a whole. Like I look at it where instead of it being like a flat, like bullseye, it's turned into a cone. And so when you're just starting out, you're on the same level as everybody else. And every time you step in, you're actually moving up and the surface area shrinks and there's fewer people with you and more people below you looking to you for what's going on all while you're experiencing, experiencing the same real life challenges they're facing. Yeah. And the higher and higher and higher you go, the surface area gets smaller before you realize I don't have anyone left to talk to. Mm. I don't have a circle. I don't have anyone to pour into me while I'm pouring into other people. And the analogy I give it's at that point, it's like trying to water a garden with an empty watering can. You're just going to the motions, but you have nothing to give mm. um, when it should be just like a bullseye, right? As the more you get to the center, you have more people around you that know you and support you, but we don't feel like we can, we don't feel like we can do that. And I, un, I, unfortunately, and added to the number of people that have experienced that. In addition to isolation, it seems like it creates a dangerous context where that power then can have some really unhealthy dynamics. And because of the loneliness, behaviors and things often come out of it that are unhealthy and hurtful to self and others around. Did you have any ways to avoid that? Or Yeah, speak to that. That's a really good question, Joy. And I didn't before because I didn't understand what was actually going on with me. Um, uh -huh. Going back, I was doing a ton, going, 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 going. COVID's happening, church planning stressful. I'm trying to, I'm in school, I'm in school full time, um, working, you know, multivocational was an understatement. Right. Spread thin. Married. Um, at this point, my marriage was strained and I'm fighting understanding what's going on there, like trying to wrestle with how do I fix it? How do I fix it? What's going on? And so I dug into myself, which is a healthy first step. You know, I dug in and I peeled back all of the, you know, layers to my proverbial onion 
to really figure out what's going on. Like, like I am trying so hard to do all of these, these things and trying to do this stuff. Like, why is the bottom eroding? You know, why is my marriage not where it's at? And, um, I didn't go talk to anybody at that point. Cause one, I didn't feel like I could, uh, my colleague who at that point was one of my best friends. Um, I didn't feel like I could because I'd grown up in the church culture. I grew up in was, well, if you're depressed, you don't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. Just pray about it and it'll go away. Like, mm-hmm. and if you're having thoughts of, you know, ending your life, well, that's selfish and you're going to go to hell. Mm. Right. And yeah. so, and I was that judgmental person and insensitive. And then I found myself depressed mm-hmm. and it didn't matter how hard I prayed. I was still depressed. And so then I'm start, I'm starting to beat down my own faith. Like, well then what the heck's going on? Like for my whole life, this, you know, okay, cool. Like, I remember, oh, you have little faith just got playing over my head, over my head, over my head. And I know that when Jesus said that, he wasn't attacking someone. He was, it was a very childlike, like, oh, you little kid, like, come on. Like it was loving, but Mm -hmm. I was using it to attack myself. And I finally got to a point where my marriage was, I knew it was ending. And my now ex-wife and I got into an argument and I pulled over on the side of the road and I was like, if this is as hard as I've worked and this is all that there is for me, then I should just walk out onto the highway. Mm-hmm. And she got off the phone. I got out of the car and I walked out onto the highway. And this SUV brushed by me. You could feel it. They pulled over. They looked out. They were, they were like, they thought they had been playing on their phone. I got back mm-hmm. in my car and sat there and wondered how the heck did I get here? Like, how did I get to a place where so many people that have, you read the numbers and the the church leaders that get to a place where they're like, my world's crumbling apart. I don't feel like I can have anyone to talk to. Mm-hmm. And the only way out is just to like unalive myself. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. And in that moment, I just, I kept driving. I was coming to my folks' house. Um, And I just started writing down like what I needed to change, like what I needed to do. Spent a few days processing, got back to Virginia Beach and had a very hard conversation with um, my former colleague and was given two options. Like, thankfully, my ex called him. That was a great thing. To this day, I'm like, thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. But it was given two options. Either you're going to tell me that you were going to commit suicide, in which case I'm going to have you checked into a place, or the other option is to tell me you weren't going to do it, which means you're just being a narcissist and manipulating your wife. Wow. And I wasn't even ready to admit that I was in that place yet. And it was in a place where I was like, everyone's already mad at me. I'm literally at the lowest I've ever been in my entire life. I was like, no, I wasn't actually going to do it. And that's the story I held to myself for a long time. I got into counseling and and I told the counselor for real. Hmm. Um. And then after that, it was wrestling with getting my mental health in check and then navigating how do I end a marriage well, hmm. all while being told, you can't do that. Go sit in front of lawyers and go in front of, you know, you know, and I remember one night to this day, I remember I woke up at 317 in the morning and had the biggest sense of peace that I've ever felt. Hmm. And it was like, it's okay to let her go. And my reasoning was, I'm going to go through with it because I would rather give an account and stand in front of Jesus one day, knowing that I accepted divorce, knowing that she still had a relationship with him, than forcing someone to stay where they want for the sake of not breaking a marriage covenant and then destroy that relationship. Like mm-hmm. I'd rather her have an, an eternal relationship with him than be married to me for 40, 50 years on this earth. Wow, it's profound. And when I gave that statement, when I gave that answer as to why, a very decent amount of my pastoral friends and whatnot, they all turned their backs and left. Mm -hmm. Which just reaffirms that isolation. Mm -hmm. And so it's 
so me on the other side of it and why I think everyone's story is so powerful and why I think like really at the core of why I do what I do, like in the midst of, you know, when your life goes up in an explosion, we all have those moments. Like what happens when the grenade goes off? Like, mm-hmm. do you run from it? Mm-hmm. Or you just slowly walk through the debris and let the fog settle and let the pieces fall where they need to fall. And I did that. Um, I didn't have anybody. I had four names put on my heart. I wrote down this new rule of life, reached out to all four of them and was like, Hey, I want you guys to walk with me through this. Nothing's off the table. Um, this is what I want to do. This is what I need help with. This is, this is who I'm, who I always thought I was, but who I want to become. Mm-hmm. And to this day, like we're a solid group. Um, and that was probably one of the healthiest steps I took when I was so unsure that unfortunately so many people don't and end up a statistic. Right. Like I was lucky enough to have gone through coaching is why I said it saved my life. Like I knew they're like, like take your next right step. It's what we say at stay forth. Take your next right step, take your next right step. And I fumbled through some things that I feel like everyone should have available to them. Everyone in ministry, every family, every household, should have available to understand, like, you may not know what depression is. You may not know what these things are. You don't have to do anything to fix anything, but this is how to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's why I love what, um, I love what happened in the sense that it's helped put me on a firmer foothold. And then like God's used it to have me have a unique seat at tons of different tables. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Okay. Like I have so many that. questions. Um, sorry, Joy. I know we're no, we're going to fight each other for the questions. We are. Um, Jonathan, gosh. Um, so a couple of things play into this. One is w- what I would call a uh, reluctance to face the reality of mental health, uh, especially in a church setting. Uh, hopefully that's getting better and better as we get more and more insight and even scientific understanding of brain chemistry. Um, but man, when you when you combine some of that with the other thing that the I'm not blaming this all on the church. Um, no, no, and I'm not either. It's yeah, just yeah, a, yeah. It's, it's yeah, no, just that's a, important. Yeah, and and yet um, you combine elements of mental health with how we have trained ourselves. And I say that, I'll say that just you and me, Jonathan, but I don't want to make that a royal we just yet, but how we have trained ourselves to um, go to the shameful spaces, right? And the shameful spaces are really dark and really scary. Um, So speak to navigating that a little bit. Um. As far as like my own shameful spaces or going to that with, with others? I mean, a little bit of both. I'm not asking you to expose your personal shame, um, just in general, because that's, I I see that as just a huge challenge with so many folks. I mean, a big one for me was like you, I think it's easy to see yourself as someone who, if I'm leading someone, whether it's my household or, uh, you know, associate pastor or a worship leader, or I'm leading in ministry anywhere. Like there's a belief that it has crossed. I would argue that it's crossed everyone's mind or you felt it, that you have to have everything together all the time. Correct. Mm -hmm. Like everyone expects you to have it all together. And that's not a negative. I don't say that as a negative thing. That's just the expectation that is never going to be met. One, because you're not perfect. And, but there's, there's a stumbling point where we try to do the best we can. And then we try to think like, well, I can just flip the nitrous switch and I can do more than what's the best. Mm -hmm. And all that does is it makes you chase after something you'll never get. And then you start to not pay attention to like the cracks in your proverbial frame of your vehicle that's driving because you're trying to run so fast and run so hard and be so perfect and be so great that these things start happening to you and you, and you, don't want to acknowledge them because you're like, I need to like put my own stuff aside because I genuinely want to help this person not hurt. Mm. Uh. And 
the biggest light switch for me came when I read um, Wounded Healer by Henry Nowen. Yep. One of the best short books. I recommend anyone and everyone reading it. Like if you want some soul care, um, read it. It's 80, it's like 87 pages. You can read it quick. Um, in it, he says, if we ever really want to, and use shameful spaces, if we ever really, I'm going to paraphrase the quote, if we ever really want to help someone find their way out of their own desert, in order to do it, you have to be so in touch with your own self and your own hurt and your own condition and your own desert. Otherwise you'll never be able to lead them out. Mm -hmm. So essentially what he's saying is you have to understand that your own shame and guilt isn't your weight to bear. Acknowledge it, own it, become in touch with it. How is it going to be used? And you may not ever be able to relate with someone else to a T, but when you find that person wherever they are, you can understand like, okay, we know what pain is. We know what confusion is. We know what frustration is, whatever it might be. Then you can, then you're more apt to be able to truly come alongside them with an even yoke mm -hmm. and then help them get from where they are to where they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Cause but another way you'll only ever lead someone as far as you are mm -hmm. and you only ever lead them either towards more unhealth or towards more health or, or closer to Jesus or further from him. And the only way to know that and to move in the right directions is to be very in touch with yourself, which means you need to be self-aware, which is always until recently, it's been a sticking point within church ministry. Right. Right. I think, you know, some of the barrier to that is again, we kind of confuse this idea of, of perfection and, and we twist it to be something so opposite of the gospel, but Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I, well, I can't go closer to Jesus cause I'm not cleaned up enough yet. <laughs> I'm not good enough yet. You know, <laughs> I don't deserve it. Um, so I'm curious how this whole process for you has changed your relationship with Jesus or your concept and understanding of God and love and all, all of those things, man. So I, um, I obviously with divorce and stepped away from ministry, and really was at a place was just attending church and you know unpacking um a lot of like my theological presuppositions and my worldview and you know taking everything that i'd learned being formally educated with what i felt personally what i had experienced and then what I was learning from, you know, stepping into counseling and learning about myself. And, and I started to realize there were things that I always pushed back on that I never really, never really felt was right. You know, while I was in vocational and co-vocational ministry, things that I just didn't, that were always harmful or seemed to be hurtful. Mm -hmm. And unless you were really, really, really well-educated, you wouldn't know how to like really pick it apart and say what, and, you know, unpack. Like for me, one of them was, you know, you can't ever break the marriage covenant. No, nobody wants to go out and get divorced, but you literally break the marriage covenant, covenant every single day of your life. Like you break everything every single day of your life, which mm. is the whole reason Jesus came. Mm. And it doesn't give you a ticket to just get out of jail free card and run amok. But when those things happen, it's not a failure. Like, and those are extremes that I realized I was living on. Like I, everything was either perfect or worthless. Huh. I was either going to go a million miles an hour or I was going to slam on the brakes. Like you were either winning or you were losing. And there was this, and whatever the, whatever you were feeling at the time, you either didn't want to go to the opposite emotion or when you're in that place, you wanted to get back over here as fast as you could. Hmm. For me, I lost the middle ground. And in real life, you can't ever live in that middle ground all the time. But the more you become aware of yourself and what I do and what I need and where I need to go, when you find yourself on the edges of that middle ground heading towards one way or the other, you're like, okay, this is a bit too excessive. Like, this is what I needed to back off. Hmm. Like, hmm. oh, when this comes over here, okay, this is how this comes back over here. So your life becomes more rhythmic with an even pendulum swing, you know, like days don't immediately blip from, from midnight to noon. Right. We don't go from 
spring immediately to summer you know we have in between seasons and micro seasons and it's what we do in those micro moments that help us in macro lead a more holistically you know spirit driven life and so what i did is i i was reading an old paper i had written um for my capstone for my degree and I went back and I was reading some of the scripture references and I read the part at the end when um, like Barnabas basically sends Paul home. Hmm. And we think that like, oh, he just like, because you read it, he went home and the next thing you know, he's, you know, he's going home, planting churches, going to Jerusalem, telling Peter off, you know, becoming, you know, the heavy hitter in the New Testament. But we don't realize he went home for three years. Mm-hmm. And he was probably the most knowledgeable head knowledgeable guy well educated had a very strong faith it was just misdirected and he had to unpack his faith and go back to the basics get all the way down to the foundation and then let that start to come back together so that he could then do what he was meant to do so that his story was back in alignment it's basically what i did i just stepped back and really gave myself a lot of grace like anything that made me feel guilty and I realized I shouldn't feel guilty about this. I'd like would push back and wait. I mean, there were times where like, I just didn't go to church every Sunday. Cause like, I shouldn't feel guilty for this. Like little things like there was mm-hmm. for years, if I missed a morning devotional, I would beat myself up and would feel yeah. like, Oh, it's terrible. You have to start over. And I would literally start over. There were periods of my life where I was good th- through reading my Bible in a year or doing a reading plan and I would miss up and mess a couple of days. And I would like, I've got to start over. Or you have to read four and five and six times more to this because you have to do it this way. Otherwise, like the task is to do this and the task has to be done this way, Mm. but it's not a task. Like taking it all the way back to earlier, it's turning spiritual rhythms into commodities. Mm. Right. And you know, it's, it's a commodity where, Oh, I have to versus I get to. Yeah. And if you can identify though that in one area, you can start to see it in bigger areas. And for me, it was really painful. Like I zoomed out and realized that I, at the end of the day, loved my marriage more than my wife. Mm, wow. Like, and that's a very strange question to a lot of people. Like, what do you mean by that? I was like, I was so afraid of getting divorced because I had gone through it as a 12 year old, I was so afraid of getting divorced. And I felt I would, I was fearful of, I have to be the best husband. I have to like, she can never be upset. Like I, I, I want like, everything has to be a certain way. And before you knew it, I'd assumed ownership of the team owner, the front office, the head coach, the assistant football coach, the trainers, the, all the players, the offense, the defense, and even the football and trying to move it all down the field. And that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I had, I realized like I, as much as I did love my wife, I loved the concept of marriage more than my wife. And it, it led to me making some stupid decisions. I would lie to her because I didn't want to see her upset. I didn't realize how much of an emotionally intense person I was. And I didn't want her to feel upset over something silly. Like we mm-hmm. were a newly married couple and there were shoes that she wanted and I was like, I'll buy you these shoes. And then I hadn't gotten paid and didn't have the money to buy them. And I made up some baloney story of like, Oh, my credit card got messed up or blah, blah, blah. And she knew, yeah. and she would be more hurt that I lied to her, but I was stuck on this other side of it is if I hurt you, it's ruined. Right. And so you see those pockets in other areas and you start to see where they exist in the other parts of your life. And that was how I basically took myself back to ground level and just walked it out slowly and let the pieces be put back together how they're supposed to be. Wow. Such a beautiful, honorable story of how you move towards balance. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I I appreciate the, the shift that that's happening in me. It's not complete, but you move from, for example, we'll start with marriage, but it pertains to a life of faith too. When when you see it as a formula, uh, the result is never a good outcome. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you treat it like a relationship, which means that you have to go into the dark spaces, the light spaces, and the gray space, 
Mm -hmm. right? I mean, if, if our walk with Jesus or our faith is a formula, then you, you give no room for the growth of the middle. It's either an extreme, you know, the beginning or the end, yes or no on or off. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, that I think the reason, I think the reason we avoid the middle or we don't pay attention to it is one, because we become so reactive and trying to get from one place to the other. But two, when you find yourself in the middle it's when you're then feeling you have to be strong enough or aware enough to because you're feeling more than just one tension. And sometimes that's all we want. We want to be just here, but the middle is often uncomfortable. And because it requires you to know like more of what's going on, but then really the middle is where real life happens. It's where like the good life, the hard life, the smart life, it's where, it's where when you stand there and you get comfortable, you get comfortable being uncomfortable. And it's that's where you can really begin to see people and things that you do beyond way farther with much more value than just what it is on the surface. Like you begin to see where you can look through the person that's just cut you off in traffic and look through them and see their humanity and be like, you know what? Something probably has already set that person off. And it's less likely to bug you. You're still going to get frustrated. I get frustrated all the time. But your your clarity level gets dialed up a notch, and you get to see the person more relationally than you would otherwise, and even the people closest to you. Yeah. Like you begin to take things less personally because you can see, like, okay, that's obviously not directed at me. Yeah. Or you know, or you're hurting. Oh there's actually nothing I can do to fix this. So I don't have to try to fix it. I can just let you know that, Hey, I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. And you're more authentic and more genuine, but it's harder. I just want to say, thank you. Like it's been really meaningful to, to hear your story. And I think that vulnerability, however much of it you're comfortable sharing is a huge message that a lot of people need. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I made a commitment to myself. I was always very quiet and I don't like talking about myself, but I made a commitment early on that I would be an open book. Like when anyone asked <clears throat> about anything yeah. that related to, you know, who I am, what I do, how I'm doing, you know, part of your story. Cause I think it's important. And yeah, if one person resonates, then everything that I've been so fortunate to experience, I'm thankful for all of it. Mm-hmm. Like relationships that have ended, like I can look back at all of it with a smile on my face and just be so thankful for it because now on the other side of it, it's like, okay, it's all been used for something. Yeah. And yeah. if that helps one person, then I would do it all over again. So Jonathan, as, as we consider that journey that you've been on, um, I mean, one of the things that that you've put into play is I will call it the concept of boundaries, right? Knowing where you begin and end and someone else begins and ends Mm -hmm. or what, what truly is your responsibility and what truly isn't and how not to get sucked into those areas that aren't. (laughs) So, I mean, that's an ongoing journey and process, I think, but speak to that. Yeah. It changes and shapes. I mean, it shifts and changes. And I would say, to the average person, you know, the longest relationship you will have on this side of eternity is with yourself. The longest relationship you'll ever have is obviously with Jesus, but the one on this side of eternity is with yourself. So whether you're you're listening to this and you are single, you're dating, you're married, you're just stepping into, you know, a new career, your church planting, you're doing whatever. You have to make sure that the three foot ring inside of you is as solid as it can be. Are you watering the soil? Are you letting it dry out? Are you making sure that it's not eroding? Mm -hmm. Are you cultivating it? Because if that's not okay it's not gonna be perfect if that's not okay then you're going to have trouble when you step outside of that that circle you're going to wonder you'll begin wondering like why is this not blank Hmm. 
you'll start shooting on yourself. Like I should have done this. I should have done that better. And we're all still going to make those mistakes. I mean, I do it in business all the time. Mm. Like I'll forget a zoom meeting. I will, you know, and that's okay. But you know, learn from it. It's the same. It's the same. You don't succeed or fail. You learn. Yeah. A favorite quote. One of my favorite quotes of all times is Thomas Edison. He said, I never saw myself as having failed. I just found 10,000 ways that didn't work first. Right. When I was speaking about inventing, I mean, electricity, yeah, light bulb, you know? And I think we, we think of it, we tend to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. And instead of shooting on yourself, making little mindset shifts of, and I would have preferred to have done that this way. I missed my man lead team meeting with our launch crew, this, you know, this church is about to launch and we missed this meeting. It's all right. Well, I would have preferred to have done this way. What can we do next time? What can we learn from this or the next time we can be marginally better? Yeah, that's good. I, I think you mostly just answered my next question, um, but maybe you can put a little bit more breadth into it. Uh, when we think of of leadership uh, in any form or function, I know you've done a lot of leadership coaching. You've been coached. Um, I mean, you've talked in podcasts about this. What are what are some of the markers of good and healthy leadership? What what are what are some things we should bring to bear in mind? Those of us who find ourselves in leadership roles. Well, first, if you're breathing and you have blood in your veins, you're a leader. There you go. You got to lead yourself. Like your influence begins with yourself, and it starts with what am I doing to stay healthy. Same as you would take medicine if you have a cold or you would go, you know, go to the doctor if you don't feel well, or Mm -hmm. you're, you know, going to go to school to learn something. What are the small things I'm doing to myself to make sure that I'm, I'm not getting stuck? Because when you get stuck, then you get confused, then you get frustrated, then you start to feel overwhelmed, and then you start to wonder what's going on. And then you're in a rut. And then before you know it, you're like, well, I failed, I have to do something entirely different. And then you we quickly jump to the other side of things. And what we don't realize is whatever that was is going to follow you. Yeah. And so however you lead, make sure that don't neglect yourself. Hmm. Like, what do the basics look like? Like how, like, how are you self-check-in like I do a self-check-in every week and I got this from leadership coaching like what every Wednesday what is my energy level what's my encouragement level yep and then and then spend five minutes answering those questions man if my energy level is a four and my encouragement level is a seven why am I tired where can I carve out some time yeah or you know if my encouragement levels are two, but I have tons of energy, well, what's going on? You know, take those questions to someone, take them to your spouse. Be like, Hey, have you noticed anything off with me? Like, this is how I feel right now. What's going on? Take them to your team. Like, being marginally aware of yourself is probably one of the healthiest and selfless things that you can do. Mm. Like, Good. I would say if you want to be a healthy servant leader, you have to be very aware of yourself emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, and healthily. Yeah. Those are the four wheels that inflate your car. And if one of them's off, it's going to throw the whole thing off. Right. And you may think you have a whole host of issues when one thing might be off. And so I, so check those regularly. Yeah, that's good. Um, That has been extraordinarily helpful for me. Uh, you know, the the right side up journal, which I, I have been using and uh, the leadership coaching, you know, I have over the last 25, 30 years amassed a huge collection of books on leadership, on different biographies of business leaders. I mean, there's and they're all sitting on my shelf and they've all been read and they're all underlined. And yet, I don't know, it's probably four or five years ago, I was looking at them and saying, I have more information in my head about leadership than I could possibly mm-hmm. put to use. And yet I don't have the habits of a good leader, right? So 
that's for me where bringing other long, uh, people alongside of you and getting coaching and that kind of thing finally got me to put into application all of that stuff <laughs> that I've read for 30 years. Yeah, I mean, identify someone who's four or five steps down the line than you mm. and learn from them, mimic them. Yeah. If you want to learn a new habit, you want to do anything. And really, at the end of the day, I mean, that's one of the basic a very basic practical leadership skill. If you want to become proficient in any area, find someone who is further down the line than you, maybe not even doing the same thing. And everyone knows someone, everybody knows someone who is, who is, man, I want to do this, but I have this person. They seem really successful. Like they're managing a ton right now. Ask, ask a question and, and then learn from them, learn what they do and apply it to your context. And that's disciple making, basically. For sure. While I follow Jesus. Yeah, that's really good. I want to throw this in. Uh, This won't be true for everybody. I mean, oftentimes we think of it chronologically, like that person that's a few steps or five steps ahead. You think, well, that's got to be somebody older than I am. And that is not true. Some of the best leadership, coaching, and mentorship I've received have been from people that are 10 to 20 years younger <laughs> than I am. Um, so I would just encourage people to, to not think of that necessarily as a chronological requirement. Um, things You can be surprised, I guess. Oh, oh, for sure. Like, I, I mean, I learned there's people that I, you know, highly admire that are younger than I am. Sure. And very much older than I that I've learned a ton from. And part of it's what you do with it, but it's making yourself open to say, okay, I can learn from this person, you know, and for a lot of people learning from someone younger than you requires humility. Yeah. Right. And, and the big thing there is, wait a minute, I have an opportunity to learn from this person. They're younger than me, but I can also help them generationally by, you know, I acknowledge that they're very, you do this very well. I would like to learn from you. Could we grab a cup of coffee? Could we have a meeting? Or And by identifying that, you're showing them that they're not just a cog in the wheel, that you value them and that they can actually help you. And you're actually elevating that person. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Jonathan, speak to some of the projects that that you've got going on. I mean, I know professionally you can speak to any of that that you'd like. Um, but you know, some writing things that you're working on stuff that's, that's going on. Yeah. I'm, I'm writing a lot on my, on my business website, everything under the realm of, you know, creative, the creative side of the business world from podcasting to, um, anything related to marketing, business systems, tech, um, some web design stuff. And those are in the business world. That's where I live. Um, I do a lot of coaching and consulting around the um around the area with anyone who's trying any small business or large organization that maybe is trying to do something they're trying to clarify something or fix we're missing some opportunities here you know i can i like to come in and help say okay this is where you're at this is that this is the bridge that's half built you want to get over there i can help you lay the pieces to you know, how do we communicate to our teams more effectively? How do we launch this podcast? What do we need to do to, you know, build this automated funnel to sell these, to make these services offered? How do we, mm-hmm. our brand seems confusing. What is it that we actually do? Yeah. You know, it's, I believe so much in story and I've seen how much story has impacted my life. It's with my business. How can I take whatever client I'm working with and connect the story and the message around the product, service, or cause to the hearts of the people that need to hear it most Mm. and how to do it effectively and how to do it in a way that's not going to deplete you of the most important resources you have, which are your time, your energy, and obviously third, I will put your funds. Most important is your time and energy. Anything I do is going to have some healthy leadership built into it. If you come to me and say, hey, I want to launch a podcast, we're going to dig right into what is your bandwidth? Right. You know, this is not a today thing. It's a the person that's going to come listen to this a year from now. Like, can you consistently do this for a year? Yeah. And, you know, because I don't want you to do anything that's going to make you less available 
and it's going to diminish anything that you do within your business or organization and then become a thing that takes you away from your family. Right. And so I'm very respectful of that. And then on the other side of things, I'm slowly writing a book. Um, it's more or less a passion project. It's my story and some practical things that I've learned along the way about avoiding finding yourself stuck on the extremes of life. Um, mm. But I'll finish it up. I'll finish it up at some point. It was started as a very therapeutic project early in the early in the um, start of this journey. And then I had mentioned it to a couple of people and they were like, you, you have to write this, you know, yeah. I want to, I want to put it to my publisher and I was like, I'll, I'll finish it, you know? So I'm, I'm making it, I'm writing it where every word is something that I, I get to write and not a, I'm not making it a thing that I just have to get done. Good. That's great. That's great. Hey, I'm curious um, on the music side of things. Mm -hmm. You, you're a talented musician. Uh, we've talked a lot about, well, not a lot, but some about music because it's a, a passion I think we both share. How did the performing of music in a church space did that did, did that ever sour your connection with music? Did it build upon it? How, how does that kind of fit oh, in? And, and what are you doing with music today? Yeah, so I was a very much an unhealthy perfectionist. And it's mm -hmm. something that you never get rid of. Like I am a perfectionist at heart. And I know where the unhealthy sides of it have come from. And I know what the healthy sides of it are. And for years, anything that I would do, I would have to just it, it had to be the best. And then, you know, low self worth before I knew what that was, mm. meant like if it wasn't perfect, and there was something not right, then like it, it, dang it, like it messed everything up. Um, I mean, before music was golf, I started playing golf, and I was four and wow. played. Um, and I remember I walked away from golf, and I was 18 for the same reason. I was just I hated it. I hated everything about it. Um, yeah. I enjoy playing now and music was the same way. I got that way playing in church and I wanted it to be a certain way. I, I like knew what it should sound like. And, and it, it got to a point where I just hated music. And at one point I remember I walked out of band practice one Friday night and just stopped playing. I was like, I don't. And I put down the guitar for a number of years. Wow. And I only picked it up and I was very hesitant to. Um, when I started, um, co-leading a Thursday night worship service that we launched at the church I was at before we went to plant. Yeah. And I remember then I was very reluctant and I was fearful of it. I was like, I, do, I don't want to do this. Like, I, I don't want to do it every week. Um, and only more recently I've taken the acoustic off the wall that's behind me and just pick it up and play some. And I'm fine with that. Like, like, I don't, I love music for what it, for what it does for me. And that's where it lives now, yeah. you know? And I think that's been my view of everything that I used to have an unhealthy view of, whether it was my faith or me as a former pastor or whatever. I am totally happy having conversations about that in this context. Then if I ever get in front of a group of people and give a message ever again, right? Like I have, I love it. I enjoy it. But I was very like, I wanted it to be everything to be just perfect, you know, like I want the message to have like all of the emotions that I would feel writing it and putting in like I wanted everyone to, to experience it. And it made a lot of things not fun. And it, I had a very, just very, like you said, linear, you know, um, analog view of my faith, A plus B equals C. You know, and my life in general. And so coming from that and in, in business and, you know, my whole life now is about being as graceful and as balanced and rhythmic as possible. Yeah. Love and, that. You know, we can all achieve it. It just looks different for everybody. Yeah. And I can yeah. enjoy the thing that's for what it is. Like I can play my guitar for 15 minutes and be totally happy and fulfilled, you yeah. know? And it, and I can plunk chords or miss a solo, you know, fine. You know, I just, I was able to pick up my guitar for 15 minutes and play, you know, where it used to be like, if I can't play for an hour, it's not worth it. Right. So yeah, that did, that was a long answer, but it did happen. I had soured my relationship with 
worship leading and just not wanting to be anywhere. Like I didn't want to be anywhere near it. Yeah. That that's interesting too. I, I like your perspective on that, where that was a result of the perfectionism in you. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't, it's not something we can blame on, you know, the corporate church or, you know, anything like that. No. Um, and, and we do that sometimes. We do. I know that's part of the problem, I think. And I think if you go all the way back to knowing yourself, yeah, like it was the hardest thing I ever did. And I'm the first one in my family to do it, to like willfully sit and dig into counseling mm. and unlock like, okay, this is where this came from. Like, all right. And like, I'm thankful at now 38, I've been on this for almost three years but really digging and understanding, okay, it's not bad to be a perfectionist. Like the good side of that is you have a strong work ethic. Yeah. You're going to give a hundred percent of the things you invest in. The unhealthy side of that is you can't say yes to everything mm -hmm. and, and nothing's going to be perfect. Hmm. And if you don't have a hundred percent to give to something, then either should don't commit to it. Or if you do realize, okay, my best right now is going to be 60%. That's the level of excellence I'm bringing into this. I'm going to do yeah. the absolute best I can with what I have right now. Yeah. And it's okay. Like I'm, I know I'm a perfectionist and I've learned what, when I'm tipping in the wrong way. Hmm. Like I know that, you know, I know that that is one thing to be empathetic and to be like others focused and care deeply for people, right? That can also be called people pleasing. Right. But the people pleasing side of it's the unhealthy side where you feel like, oh, if I don't do this for them, or if someone asks and I don't drop whatever I'm doing and and sacrifice my own priorities, then they're gonna be upset or this is gonna be a problem. Like right. they're almost one and the same. They're very similar. It's just learning to say, okay, over time, this is a blind spot for me. How do I, how do I add some clarity to it? How do I, how do I expand my peripherals? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, as two areas of focus to kind of expose your perfectionism, I would say golf and music, <laughs> you picked two good ones <laughs> to help expose that. Um, yeah. I mean, woodworking too, like woodworking is a hobby. Of sure. mine. Like I would, yeah. I mean, you give me, like, I want, you tell me something's 17 and 13 sixteenths. Like I want to cut it, you know? Yeah. And all of that is from, it's from my dad. Like I got it. I got it from my dad. Like my dad is a master carpenter. He can take and look at something and tell you exactly how long it is and wow. chop it on a miter saw and get it within a 16th of an inch and, and rarely ever have to use a tape measure. Wow. And it's like, okay, that's the standard. I should be doing that. Uh, yeah. And that's not, um, and that's not helpful. Right you're just looking at the tip of someone else's iceberg. Exactly. Even if it's your own family, like, okay, he's able to do that, but he's had years, years of practice. And also understanding how that played a role in how I viewed, you know, wanting to be the best at everything. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't that a bit of a trap too? I mean, I think of this from a leadership perspective, that whole, you know, comparison element. Oh yeah. Uh, when, when you can let go of that, like I, you know, I play the bass and, I'm not Jacko Pistorius. I never will be. I'm not Getty Lee. I never will be. I'm not Flea. <laughs> I mean, you know, so you look right. at at some of these, you know, bass players and at some point you just have to be comfortable with your own skin and let and let the hobby, which it is for me, serve me to my soul as opposed to. Exactly. Yeah. It's life-giving. And the worst part about playing the the comparison game and what no one really talks about is that you become so focused on comparing yourself to other setting standards on other things. Like that becomes the metric that I have to do Right. that you don't, you begin to ignore and gloss over all the times that people come to you and are observing what you're doing and saying, mm. man, like I would love to be able to do that. Right. Right. Not to say that you're ignoring other people's com comparisons of you, but you're so focused on what becomes a negative, an unhealthy negative, that you, your brain is rewired to not pay attention when someone was like, to say, good job, or 
man, that's really cool. How did you do that? When you start to dial that back and be like, it's great to look at someone and say, hey, what are they doing? I want to learn how to apply that to what I'm doing. Mm. Or that, you know, what I'm doing is enough. Like, like what I'm doing is okay. It's excellent. That shift allows you, it opens your ears up and your brain begins to start to process when people actually admire what you're doing or have positive things to say to you. You, And it's not like they just started out of nowhere. You're just starting to hear it and then feel it. And that's one of the greatest things ever Yep, yeah, is to be able to, if you want to, because everyone wants to feel value. They want to be known and they want to be seen. Most people don't want to admit that I enjoy when someone says good job or I'm proud of you or, you know, and we can become so focused on trying to get to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing that we don't, we aren't aware when those things happen. I mean, I'm three years out of my marriage coming up on three years, and I'm just now able to go back and remember times when she would say something and I can feel it now, but I couldn't feel it before. And it's like, man, like how much you can grow and how much you can learn. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Jonathan, this has been so inspiring. Um, I, I do know that the the way you have served me and Communitas has had extraordinary value. So, um, you know, in the show notes, we'll put links to ways people can get in touch with you, um, maybe benefit from some of the services you offer. Uh, but you know, there might even be a number of folks who would just want to reach out and, and have conversation with you. Is that something you're open to? Oh yeah. Yeah. You can, um, link everything in the show notes, but, um, website is collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R creative solutions.com. Um, I just opened a, a new Instagram page for that um, business of just as if we re, re I've overhauled everything, but that's Instagram. It's just called your creative solutions on Instagram. I've got tons of really cool articles, um, lots of free resources anyone can download. So if there's a thing you're thinking about doing, or you want to do something, or you even have any questions at all, whether it's about this episode or um, anything and everything, fill out one of the contact forms, send me a DM. And I'll even drop my email address in the show notes. Great. Fantastic. Um, hey, thank you so much for your time today and just some of the insights and especially the vulnerability. Um, it's just much appreciated. And these are things that I think everybody really needs to hear um, and grapple with. And, and, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we're all, we're all on the journey, right? So yeah, if you can't be honest with yourself, then you're going to be reluctant to be honest and honoring with other people. Yeah. Good word. And, and that's what I think my hope is that people can understand that and begin to see it. And why I made the commitment to be like, Hey, you know, I'm going to do this hard work. And, you know, I didn't want to, I would have loved to have said, Hey, look, let's just like run past this. You know, I'd always done that. If you want to break the cycle, no matter what it is, you know, you may be listening and realize, man, I've been telling myself I want to, you know, run a 10K this year. Mm -hmm. And here it is, June, and I haven't done it. Well, that's cool. You've still got six more months, right? Don't beat yeah. yourself up. Like, like what didn't work? What happened? What part of life happened that that made that unattainable until now? And then modify it. Maybe it's a 5K, you know? Or maybe, maybe your maybe your why was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why right. am I doing something? Yeah. What? Yeah. What's your why? Know your why. Simon Sinek. Yeah. Like know your why. Always start with it. No, his is start with why. Sorry. That's right. Yeah. And, but yeah, know your why. Like, why are you doing something? And you're going to do things for other people and you're going to do things for yourself. But that's what drives me and keeps me going now. It's, you know, I know that if I'm, if I'm being poured into, then I can really pour my best into other people. And I want to be able to give my best self to everything I do. Yeah, that's great. Well, Jonathan, I, I hope this can be an ongoing conversation. I, I know, you know, I'd love to have you back on this podcast and continue to, to dive into these things and explore a lot of other ground as well. So hey, I'm always up for a podcast conversation. Right on. Well, thank you, my friend. Really appreciate you. Really do. Oh, I appreciate you guys and what you do too. And thanks for having me on. And, and uh, anyone who's listening, you are 
okay to be okay. Good word. Good word. Thanks again, buddy. Uh, and for all of those listeners out there, you have been listening to the Communitas podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to share it with friends and families. Uh, this is available on all the major podcasting platforms. Uh, and do leave us a rating as well. And we look forward to being with you again on another episode of the Communitas Podcast.